0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, let's go all the way back to the very beginning. The plastic in your brain is such that you don't actually remember most of this part, if not all, but for several weeks, you existed in total darkness Swimming about in amniotic fluid, siphoning food off of your mother, growing in seriously miraculous ways until you are ready to exit this warm, contained atmosphere for the cold, bright, traumatic place that we call the world. Try to imagine processing the amount of change that a newborn goes through at your current age. Imagine emerging from a dark, warm, cozy place into what for most of us has become a circus of very bright lights, lots of machines beeping, medical team members scurrying about. Your eyes, as a newborn, are processing light for the first time. They can only see in black and white, and you can only focus a short distance. I'll say it's about the distance between a breast and a face. And the first thing that orients you in this seriously insane experience is the one thing that you have learned to recognize over the last several weeks. And it is the only thing that is familiar to you in the entire universe. It's the voice of your mother. You've been hearing her talk while you're in the womb. And yeah, it was a little bit garbled, but you were in there, you caught the vibrations. And now that you're out, in this chaos of everything being new, there is only one thing that you understand, and that is the voice of your mother. And immediately, your brain begins to make connections between the face that you see, the voice that you recognize, and the superfood colostrum that you're eating, and you begin to realize this is your person. You found her. Now... Those of you that know me know that I am not at all interested in letting a Hallmark greeting card holiday co-opt the liturgy or message of the church, which is to say absolutely nothing about what I think about mothers, because you guys are the superheroes of the world. But it's not a liturgical celebration. I'm grateful for all of you. But I do want to point out that there is something deeply motherly about the way a good shepherd relates to the sheep. And the way that sheep respond to the shepherd is very similar to the way that a small newborn infant responds to the voice of his or her mother. Sheep have a very keen sense of hearing. Their eyesight isn't great, but they can distinguish and recognize voices. And they can put together the call of the shepherd with the care of the shepherd. They'll come into the corral, not because they want intuitively to be confined. In fact, if you've ever tried to get a sheep to do anything against their will, you know it's not going to work. I'm, how many city slickers am I talking to here? No one even wants to admit to it. All right. Yeah, sheep are stubborn. They're not going to go into the corral just because you want them to, just because you're going to force them to. They come into the corral because that is where the shepherd is, and where the shepherd is, they know that there will be food and comfort And safety, and so they are willing to go into a place that they don't want to go because they're following their shepherd. There's another interesting thing about sheep, and that is that they stick close together, at least to some degree, such that some of the herd may not actually hear the shepherd, him or herself, but they will follow the other sheep. And so, generally speaking, a good shepherd only needs a few of his sheep to hear him and respond for the entire flock to follow along where he wants them to go. As Jesus describes his shepherd-like relationship to his followers, he is tapping into a very thick set of images that the people of Israel, his hearers, would have been familiar with. David, the king of Israel, had been a shepherd. Now at the time, that was actually a net negative for David. Even among his own family, to have to go and watch the sheep was just for the dumb little brother. Just get out of here. You're underfoot. Go watch the sheep. But David becomes the shepherd of Israel, leading her like a flock as a man after God's own heart. And the shepherd metaphor springs to life in a new way because now God's people recognize what good kingship is. It's exactly like shepherding. But even before David... I think if you, if you listen, you can hear an echo between what Jesus says here and what Adam was tasked with in the garden. In many ways, Adam was meant to be a shepherd. The animals were going to come to him, and he was going to know them by name, right? Of course, we know that Adam abandoned his vocation, and so now the second Adam has come to shepherd all of his creation toward its intended end, life in God's kingdom. When Jesus talks here about his sheep, his flock, he is talking about his church. He's talking about all of us and his church throughout the world and across time. It is the church that hears the shepherd. It is the church that is known by the shepherd. It is the church that follows the shepherd. And the shepherd, in turn, gives to the church eternal life. He ensures that they will not perish, and he guarantees in the strongest possible terms that no one will be able to snatch any of his flock out of his hand. Did you notice that statement at the end of our reading of Trinitarian unity between the Son and the Father? That statement has been the bedrock of Christian doctrine for thousands of years. I and the Father are one. But how is Jesus using that idea of his unity with the Father in this paragraph? To describe for us how impossible it would be for any of his flock to be lost, because Christ and the Father are one, and the strength of their hands is such that no one can snatch away any of their sheep. It's beyond anything in the universe. But we do have a potential snag here. Those of us who have spent Really, any amount of time in the church, I think, can throw around the term Jesus follower without really stopping to think about what we mean by that metaphor. We don't even realize that it is a metaphor anymore, which means that it's effectively become what's called a dead metaphor. Because it doesn't convey the meaning to us anymore, we've stopped thinking about what we mean when we say it. So, what does it mean to be a follower? For starters, it means not being the leader. There's one thing. It means to give up autonomy. It means to be willing to listen and respond to the leader, to the shepherd. Oh, but then now we have another question. Because we throw this phrase around a lot, too. Well, I'm just listening to God. I'm listening for the Spirit. We listen to God. I even do it with our kids as they go. You're going to listen for the voice of Jesus. But how do we listen? Again, for starters, we have to stop talking so that we can listen. But we also may have to cut out the extra noise that may overwhelm our ability to hear because I think at this point, we are probably living in the noisiest epoch of human history. We live in a tyranny of noise. And so it's going to require intentional choices for us to get away from the noise so that we can learn again how to hear. And if I could rabbit trail for just a moment, part of our gathering together is just for this purpose. As we saw last week, Jesus reveals himself when his followers are together. And while every metaphor has its limits, I think the fact that actual real-life sheep follow other sheep who respond to the shepherd has something to say to us as well. And it's not unlike what Louis brought to us a couple of weeks ago about St. Thomas, that even when we're in a place where we cannot hear the shepherd, surrounding ourselves with people who can is incredibly important, just as Thomas needed to remain with the disciples who had seen the risen Lord so that he too could encounter him, so that his disbelief could be overcome. To be a follower requires humility, but it also requires tenacity. Being a follower means not being the leader, but it also means not being a loner. Being a follower means being responsive to the leader's call, but it's not acquiescence. It's not weakness. There are times when the shepherd carries us, and there are times when we must climb up the difficult mountain trails through the valley of the shadow of death as we continue to follow him. Following involves putting one foot in front of the other, tracking down our shepherd. To follow is to respond to being chosen by, in turn, choosing. Right? This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And then he has given us the ability to love him back. He chose his flock, and now we have the opportunity to respond by choosing him. Christ calls us by name to be part of his flock, and we, in turn, call him Lord in response. It's a difficult pose to strike, not rushing ahead with your own mission, but also not lagging behind in your own myopia. I think this tension is captured for us in the Venite that we say each day with morning prayer, Come, let us bow down and bend the knee and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. There's submission. There's humility. There's following. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. It's not just submission. There's also action. There's response. There's not waiting for another time. But today, today would you hearken to his voice. For today is the day of salvation. Do you see how our senses have to be renewed in order for us to see the whole world as an epiphany of God, to hear the scriptures speak to us in the voice of Christ, to hear the beautiful music of the universe as the voice of God? This is not pantheism. We don't believe that the world is God, but we also can't cut off our entire experience of salvation and sanctification, which is just fancy language for following Jesus, from the fact that God created the world. The world was always meant to light up, to unveil, as we saw last week. And it was always meant to speak the truth about God. We must have our eyes and our ears opened by the Spirit. The good news of Christ as the world's true shepherd, is rooted in having senses remade by the Spirit, and this all at once immediately cuts out any possibility of pride. We're not somehow smarter because we recognize the voice of Jesus as our shepherd. That was a gift given to us by the Spirit. To recognize Christ's shepherding presence is itself a gift. And so this should not only get rid of pride from our lives, but it should also give us a deep, deep forbearance and patience with the world around us. Sunshine, am I right? Anybody? Oregonians? Where are you? Where are my people at? Sunshine. I have to tell you, even in the midst of the amazing sunshine this week where I, you know, ah, oh, okay, I'm alive, this is great. The despair of our city has weighed on me this week. And I don't, I don't say that to, to sound like I'm somehow a, a, a spiritual genius. It's, it's obvious. It's just sometimes I don't notice the weight on the one hand, there's the more obvious expression of despair. And if you've been to our chapel down by my office, you've seen it. There's people passed it on the street killing themselves slowly with drugs meant to deaden their senses to the pain of their lives. But then there's the less obvious expression, and it's probably more insidious, and it's probably one that most of us are wrapped up in. And it's the despair of consumerism. We don't even really recognize it because it's something that we were born into as a culture and we exist in it all of the time. But we have lost a sense of purpose. We've lost our sense of connectedness to one another and to the world in which we live and have been given instead a set of lifestyles to aspire to. Lifestyles that when really investigated are nothing but smoke and mirrors for the same despair. the same despair that's etched into the face of the heroin addict who sits outside my office. But our patience, our love, and our forbearance kicks in when we recognize that our city is filled with scattered sheep. Scattered sheep who have no shepherd. And in fact, in a place like Portland, it's almost as if they have no flock whether it's the nike executive masking her depression with a nicer car or a fancier restaurant experience or a man on the street having his life sucked out by the needle full these are shepherdless scattered sheep and yeah maybe they're mean or bitter or scary or whatever but beneath all of that they are scared and lonely sheep who have attached themselves again and again to bad and destructive shepherds, not realizing a better shepherd exists and is calling them to come and rest. There's this passage in the Prophets that describes a bad shepherd and just lists off all of these aspects of a bad shepherd and we're told that the bad shepherd doesn't care for the perishing, doesn't seek the wandering, doesn't heal the maimed, doesn't nourish the healthy, but rather devours the flesh of his own sheep before he deserts the flock. I mean, if that doesn't sound like a one-size-fits-all description for most of our politicians, culture makers, tech leaders, and gurus, right? The dying are left to die on their own without comfort. The wandering are left in isolation and loneliness. The wounded are left to expire and fester. And the healthy go hungry or are consumed by our so-called leaders before they pick up stakes and move on to consume more. But what's scarier is that none of us are immune to this. Perhaps myself most of all it would be impossible for me to get through a sermon about the shepherd without calling into relief myself in some way, not as an example, but rather to say that as an under-shepherd in Christ's church, I am a mess of contradictions. Am I here ministering out of a, a desire pure and disaffected by anything else? Or am I here out of a need for my own identity to feel better about myself, to feel loved. And I have to realize that my motives will likely never be pure, but even worse than that, I often don't even realize what my own motivation is. Unless you think that I'm having a really bad week, I say all that to say, thank God that my role is to leave space for Christ's priesthood, for Christ's shepherdness to be made manifest in our midst because it is Jesus and Jesus alone who is the good shepherd. It's only him. It is Jesus who binds up the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. It is Jesus who embraces the poor and makes them rich in him Jesus doesn't simply not desert the dying. He destroys death that we might not perish. He brings healing to the wounded and seeks out the lonely and the lost. And not only does he not feed himself on his flock, he feeds his flock with himself. In a moment, we're going to come and taste and see that the Lord is a good shepherd. And part of our vocation as the church is to exist as sheep in the world. And some of us wander a little further out, and some of us stay a little further in, and we all come back as a flock when we hear the voice. And then we go back out so that these shepherdless sheep out in our city could catch a glimpse, could maybe follow one of us to this place, to hear the voice of their shepherd for the first time, telling them about rest and peace and love that they could never imagine. Throughout Lent, I listened to an Anglican choral rendition of Psalm 23 that's uh, used specifically in the church in Ireland's burial services. And it's, it's a fairly archaic translation, but it's so different than the one that I grew up with that it's really striking. So I would invite you to hear these words afresh as I close. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore can I lack nothing. He shall feed me in a green pasture and lead me forth beside the waters of comfort. He shall convert my soul and bring me forth in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou shalt prepare a table before me against them that trouble me. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, and my cup shall be full. But thy loving kindness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.